0: So this morning, I, I want you to think for a second, what are the challenges to your faith? Maybe you got a promise. Um, it says in Proverbs, a promise deferred or put off makes the heart sick. Maybe you had a promise, but because of disappointments, you've kind of given up on that promise. You've forgotten. You've kind of relegated it to the, it's never gonna happen pile. When things don't go the way you hoped, Or you thought, or you expected, or you wanted them to go, you start to think, well, maybe that wasn't a promise at all. And often people are disappointed and they even give up on their faith in the Lord when things don't go the way they thought they should go. I was reading an article on Ted Turner that when he was a little boy, he claimed to have faith in the Lord. But his sister got very sick, and he prayed that the Lord would heal her. And when she died, he gave up faith and vowed never to have faith in the Lord again because of the death of his sister. And you think about how many people are not walking with the Lord right now because of disappointments. Circumstances often, God gives us a promise. And doesn't it seem sometimes that circumstances seem to say the absolute opposite of what God has promised? You know, this child shall be saved. And all of a sudden, that child is worse than ever. You're just like, seriously, Lord? You know, I remember a time Brian and I were, we were not only no money. I mean, we were just paying off debts. And the Lord spoke to us and said, I, and he didn't speak to us. He spoke to me and I spoke it to Brian. But the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm, I'm going to give you a RAV4. Which is a Toyota, and it's going to be white with cream um, leather upholstery. And I told this to Brian. He goes, Cheryl, that's a little far fetched. I said, I know, but I, I'm telling you, every time I pray, I see this white Rav Four. And he goes, Okay, we don't have any money. We just got the other two cars paid off. I don't, I don't know what you're seeing. I'm like, Okay, close your eyes and envision, you know. And he couldn't, but he said, All right, let's just go see. So we go to the. Um, We go to the Toyota dealership, and the man says, a RAV4? All I have is this one that was, you know, up on the turnstile. This is on Harbor Boulevard. And he said, but I don't know if you want this one. It's got, they usually come with um, velour, but this one has leather interior, and it's white on the outside. And I said, I want to see it. So anyway, he said, well, actually, this is a repo. So I can't sell it. I I have to, I can give you like a $10,000 discount. We're like, great, (laughs) because we don't have any money anyway. We just want to look at it. And he's like, well, give me your driver's licenses. I'll run it through and see if your credit's good enough. And he said, I can sell you this right now with zero down and no interest payments for two years. And we're like, "Okay." We bought the RAV4, the white RAV4, with the cream color interior. It was just absolutely amazing. So then I'm speaking at this um, Eastern European conference to these young people, and I tell them the story of the RAV4. Well, afterwards, I'm like, I am an idiot. These people don't even have cars. And I'm telling them, oh, I got this promise of this white RAV4, and they don't even have shoes. And I'm thinking, I am an idiot. Why Why don't I just stick with my notes? So, um, Stussy and some other companies had sent over these huge boxes of clothing and shoes and they set up this room and these Ukrainian girls needed shoes and they needed suitcases and they needed clothes and they looked at each other and they said if God will give Cheryl a rev for and we don't even know what that means he will give us shoes so they went into that room and they each found three pairs of shoes they each found clothes that fit them perfectly. They're trying them on and they're coming out and they're going, look at my rav force! Look at my rav force!" And they came up to me the next day and were like, look at my RAV4. It fits me perfectly, my rav force!" And I was just like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You covered for me. It was just the most amazing thing that God knows what we have need of and he keeps his promises, but sometimes disappointments because it's deferred, it's put off, delays, right? Oh, sometimes when the promise is put off, when it seems so close, you know. sometimes we can see the convergent of circumstances and say, this is it, it's so close, it's right here. This is exactly it, yay, hallelujah, praise the Lord, I claim it, and then all of a sudden, It's put off and put off and put off. It's delayed. Or there's detours. There are those times when your life seems to be heading a certain direction. You can see the promise, and all of a sudden, It's, we have to take a detour, we can't go this way, we're going to be turning to the right. I'll never forget, I was um, driving up to see my children. I like to leave at uh, 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning to go up to San Francisco, above San Francisco, to see my son. And I'm on the road, and all of a sudden, I get just past Westminster Mall, and there's a detour. And they reroute us all the way down Valley View to the five. Then onto the five uh, to go up, and you're just thinking, "Am I ever going to be there?" Especially just Valley View, it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever till it gets to the five, and you wonder, "Will there even be a five? Is there even a five freeway?" And will and will those minivans let me in? I call it the Raceway of the Minivans. On the five, it seems like every minivan is on that freeway, and they're all going over 100 miles an hour. I don't know who put the new engines in those minivans, but it was not a good idea. So there are detours. Sometimes when we pray, the situation seems to grow worse, and everything that we thought, well, this is a possibility, or this is a possibility, is taken away. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever had that happen? I think that God is sometimes actually revealing everything that is keeping us from his promise. Everything else that we're hoping in, but God himself. Then there's distance. Again, sometimes the promise seems so close. And then it seems like it's a little bit further away, then further, then further, then further. It keeps getting put in put off and put off and further and further away. And you wonder, will I ever see the fulfillment of this promise? In fact, sometimes you wonder, God, did you even really give me this promise? It's so far off. Will I live until this promise takes place? Then there are detractors. There are those around you who discourage your faith. There are ones that say, "Um, did God really say that? Are you sure he said that? I mean, can you claim that? Or is that really just for Isaiah and his people? They're detractors. There are those who do not believe that God's promises, they they even call themselves Christians, but they do not believe that God's promises can be fulfilled today. They're actually people. I was reading this commentator, and I was reading about Jesus calming the storm in Matthew chapter eight. And this commentator said, well, don't expect Jesus to calm your storms. He doesn't calm every storm. This is just to show his authority that he can. But if he can and he won't, why would he do that? But he shows us his authority so we know in every storm he will calm it if we ask. But there are those detractors who will tell you, "Mm -mm, mm -mm, you can't believe the promise. There's giants. You can't believe God's promise. There are deterrents. All the things that stand between you and the promises of God, maybe finances stand between you. Lord, I don't know. How are you going to give that to me? We don't have the money for a RAV4. How are you going to do that? Lord, we don't have the money for this. You want this this, um, church. You want this church. When the Lord first showed my dad this property, they did not have the money to purchase it. And then the Lord provided enough for a down payment, which was just um, inadequate to the need. And yet they purchased it. Somebody came along and said, Chuck, I'll give you all the money for the property you can build the church. And dad said, well, praise the Lord and thank you, brother. He went home and the Lord said, that's not how I want to build my church. You tell him, no, thank you. And My dad's like, but Lord, he said he would. And the Lord said, yes, and he would. And he would remind you of that and it would be because of him, and your dependency would be there. I want this to be a miracle. I want this to be me. My dad said, thank you, but no thank you. God's going to provide it completely. And then they bought the property. They signed the contract. And then Shell got in touch with them and said, could we buy that little corner of the property? And this is how much we will pay you. That was enough to pay for the property and to start the finances for this building. And by the time this was completed, the church was already paid for. That's the Lord. But finances, are they a deterrent? What if if my father said, well, I'm not going to get that land because I don't have the money. No, I'm not saying to be presumptuous. It's the opposite opposite of presumptuous. It's following the Lord. You've got to make sure that you're following the Lord. But when you follow the Lord, in fact, it tells us in... In Psalm, in one of those really good Psalms, I think it's 65, it says that the paths of the Lord drip with abundance. If it's not 65, it might be 68. You find it. You make it yours. It was already mine. Now you make it yours. Shortfalls or deficiencies You know, in a shortfall or deficiency can be an inadequacy of any kind. It can be, I don't have the strength. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the know-how for this. The things that stood between Caleb and the promise, the wilderness, the rivers, the giants, even the people of Israel themselves and their unbelief. Death. Death can be definitely a deterrent. Watching those around you succumb to unbelief. I remember in high school having a company of godly girlfriends. We all love Jesus. And then watching Um, one of them just walk away from God, just fully walk away from God. And What a! And not only did she walk away from God, but she got very um, passionate in her atheism and tried to dissuade me from walking with Jesus. Sometimes it's others who you hoped would be part of the promise, they move away. or they go to heaven. That's, that's definitely a, a big move. But they move and, and they can't be part of the promise. And you were, when you envision the promise, you envision them in the promise. Uh, and, and the promise maybe changes and you're like, it's not going to be what I first envisioned it to be. But our faith in God's promises is often affected by just one of these factors. One of these factors, you can say, I had a promise, but because of disappointment, I gave it up. I had a promise, but because of delay, I gave it up. I had a promise, but because of a detour, I chose a different one. I had a, problem, a promise, but it seemed so distant, so far in the future. I had one, but because of detractors and doubters. Um, my daughter, my oldest daughter, was, um, works with a woman, and she said to her the other day, Kristen, I used to be a Christian. I used to really believe in the Lord. But I married this man who was an atheist. And somehow, I just let go of all of it. And I don't know when that happened. I know why I did it. I just wanted to please him. But I I want my faith back. And I think maybe it was because of a deterrent. A husband that made it so hard to continue to believe. A friend that kept... Casting doubt on everything. Again, deterrence. These other things seem so much more powerful and palatable than the promise God gave me. And when that happens, we begin to doubt, we begin to question. Satan comes and says, Did God really say? Did he really say? Just like he did to Eve. In Genesis 3:1, remember he went to a woman. Gets you alone. Did God really say? Did He really say that? Are you taking it out of context? What really to you? Did He say it? Is this promise really for me? And we do that with one of these factors. Imagine having all seven factors assailing your faith. All seven because that is exactly the situation with Caleb. After seeing the promise and coming so close to all that God promised, he was deferred from the promise. It was put off. Now, I know what that feels like because I was part of a Girl Scout troop. I was always citizen of the month. I went to public school. I was always citizen of the month. I got that, I had so many certificates. My mom's like, oh, another one. I just loved all my teachers. I wanted to please them. I sat in the front row, yeah, one of those types with my hand folded, and if she said it's math time, I was like, yay, math! If she said it was science time, yay, science! You know, history, yay, history! You're the best teacher in the whole wide world! And I am in it. I loved all my teachers. I even loved the one that was so mean, who looked like a turtle. I loved her. You know, and I just, these are teachers, and I remember I was part of this really naughty Girl Scout troop, really naughty. They would say, we're all gonna go to Disneyland, and then it'd be, we can't go to Disneyland because you're not cooperating, you're not doing anything we say. So all our privileges kept being revoked. Nothing happened that they promised because of, and I can still remember their names, the girls who revoked all of our privileges. So all we got to do, which was a privilege, was make cookies for the men serving in Vietnam. And so every time we come, we're like, this is it, more cookies. I finally just started paying my dues and not showing up at the meetings. I was the only one who was current with my dues, but I'd just be like, no, because we don't get to do anything in that troop. Just take my dues. Or remember when you were in school, this is going to be going way, way back. For me, it's like 50 years, but I remember being in class and we were waiting. You know how you just would watch the clock like it's almost time to go home and you're so excited when school is finally over. And then the teacher would be like, you have been uncooperative. You know you these kids that have been talking. Now everybody has to put their heads down and stay at their desk and I'm keeping you 15 minutes over time. And you just be like no, no. And you know, I remember being eight years old still to this day. And the teacher keeping us 15 minutes over time. And all I could think of was my mother in the car waiting for me going, where is my Cheryl? Will she never be out of class? You know, did she get kidnapped? And, you know, I knew my mom was a worrier and she'd be concerned. And by the time, I mean, the teacher during that 15 minutes had to come over and comfort me because I was sobbing so hard. My desk was all wet. And she's like, Cheryl, sure, it's OK. But I try so hard to be good. And my mommy's in the car. And she's going to think I'm dead. No. So I got to get out. But Caleb had to deal with all of those factors, and he even had distractions that came between himself and God's promise, because we know that the girls in Midian came in with their idols and seduced the young men of Israel so that many of them were slain before they could even cross the Jordan River. There were also distractions, but Caleb continued to believe and strengthened himself in faith until that day, 45 years later, when he walked up to Joshua and claimed the promise of God. What was the secret of Caleb's sustained faith? How, how did he sustain this faith through all of these deterrents and distances and delays and detractors, distractions, disappointments? How did he do it? Well, we're told five times in the scripture that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. We're told in Numbers 14, 24, Caleb holy followed the lord we're told it again in numbers 32:12 that Caleb holy followed the lord we're told in Deuteronomy 1:36 that Caleb holy followed the lord we're told in Joshua 14:9 that Caleb holy followed the lord we're told again in Joshua 14:14 14, 14, that Caleb holy followed the lord why do you think we're told that because he wholly followed the lord Because it was true. This was the outstanding quality of Caleb's life. This distinguished him from all of his peers, from the fellow spies, with the exception of Joshua, from the other men of Israel. This was the distinguishing quality of Caleb's life. Had he received the promise right away, would he be able to demonstrate this faith? Would anyone else know that Caleb wholly followed the Lord? Would it be exemplified to Israel? Would Israel learn what it looked like to wholly follow the Lord? No, God used all of those factors to show the quality of Caleb's faith. That it was a faith that was passionate. That it was a faith that was persevering. That it was a faith that was permanent. He wholly followed the Lord. It was a faith that was not presumptuous. This quality so characterized his life that it sustained him. It sustained him through drought and deterrence and discouragement and distractions and wars and battles. It was a faith that strengthened him so that instead of aging, instead of growing weaker he became stronger and stronger and stronger while he waited for the promise. He, it strengthened him. And again, it singled him out. It distinguished him. Caleb embraced the promise, endured through to the promise, invoked the promise of God, and enjoyed the promise of God. In Joshua chapter 14, the chapter begins with Joshua and Eleazar the priest allotting the conquered land to the remaining nine and a half tribes of Israel. As you remember, Gad, Reuben, and half of Manasseh already got theirs on the other side. But now it's time for the other nine and a half tribes. Again, no allotment is given to Levi because they are to be spread throughout Israel to keep up the spiritual morality and worship of the whole nation. Allotments are chosen by lots, and this would be rocks that would be marked and cast out, and then they would count or reckon with the rocks. And this was a way that no one could say there was prejudice or bias, that they would know that it was the Lord, as it says in Proverbs 16, that the cast of the lot, what the lot determines is determined by the Lord. But as the land is about to be divided, as it's starting, as there's this casting of lots, Caleb, along with the whole tribe of Judah, Approach Joshua at the camp of Gilgal. Notice that he is leading. Behind him is the whole tribe of Judah. Caleb, at 85, is a passionate leader. He followed the Lord, and guess what? Now others are following him. You see, when we wholeheartedly follow the Lord, others will follow. Others will imitate. Others will copy. Others will want what we what we are passionate about. And now we see that the whole tribe is unified behind Caleb, passionate about the promise. Caleb has a request and a reminder for Joshua. Caleb wants the mountain that he saw when he first spied out. The promised land. He wanted it when he first saw the promised land. He saw this promise and he said, I want that promise. Oh, that's good. I like the fruit there. I like those grapes. I like those pomegranates. Caleb can cite the occasion, the time when he was 40 years old, the person who spoke it to him, Moses, where he was at Kadesh Barnea, the exact wording of the promise that was given him. Again, Caleb remembered his age, 40. He remembered the place, the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh Barnea. He remembered what he saw. He remembered what he reported and how he reported, exactly what he felt. It was straight from his heart. He remembered what happened. And he remembered word for word what Moses had said to him. Joshua 14, 6 through 9, he says, you know the word which the Lord said, Uh, to Moses, the man of God concerning you, Joshua, and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord, my God. So Moses said on that day, saying spoke on that day saying, surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. He was 45 years old and 45, sorry, 40 years, 45 years ago, Numbers 13, the occasion and his age, we remember that Israel was on the border of the promised land. Again, they were camped at the wilderness of Paran and Caleb was chosen as one of the 12 men, each man representing a tribe in Israel. They are given specific instructions by Moses, verses 17 through 20 of Numbers 13. They are to go up, a certain way, this way, into the south, and they are to go up to the mountains, and they are to see what the land is like, and they are to look at the people who dwell in it and measure whether they are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not, and they are to be of good courage and bring back some of the fruit of the land, because it was the time of grapes." Caleb and the others follow Moses' instructions, Numbers 13, 21 through 25. So they go up, they spy out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rahab, near the entrance of Hamath, and they went up through the south and came to Hebron. They came to this very place. But while they were at Hebron, they saw Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, they saw these three giants, these sons of Anak. After this, they went to the valley of Eshkol and cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes and carried it between two of them on a pole. And they also brought pomegranates and figs, and they returned after 40 days back to the camp at Canesh Barnea with the grapes, with the pomegranates, with the figs, Caleb and Joshua had been excited about everything they saw. And they brought back a good report, speaking with the excitement and the passion and the faith in their heart. They showed all Israel the fruit and the quality of the fruit they had found. Then they told them, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites also dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Caleb then addressed the people in Numbers 13.30, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Oh, yeah, there are fortresses. Oh, yeah, the people are totally strong. They're giants. No problem for God. See, Caleb could look at all those deterrents and say, what are they against God? What are they against God? But the detractors then spoke, we are not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we. We can't go up against fortresses and forests and giants. They gave a bad report to the people of Israel. The land through which we've gone is spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we son are men of great stature. There we saw giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in their sight. You see, when you wholly follow the Lord, you have a wholly different perspective on everything. You see the gift and the greatness of what God wants to give you. But those who don't wholly follow the Lord, they put the responsibility on themselves. And therefore, they only see all the problems, all the deterrence to getting into the promises of God. When Joshua and Caleb heard these men They tore their clothes and they spoke to the congregation. The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear. You see the emphasis of faith, of those who wholly follow the Lord is on delighting God, on the goodness of his gift, his power, and his presence. It's dependent on God to give me this promise, not on my strength, not on my fortitude, not even on the right circumstances, the right finances. The detractors made the heart of the people melt People wept. They no longer believed God's promise. That was the effect of the detractors. The people wanted to die. Oh, why didn't you just let us die in Egypt or the wilderness? The people were angry with Moses. They talked about choosing a new leader and returning to Egypt. And then they picked up stones to stone Joshua and Caleb for their good report. That's anger. They're like, we don't want to hear about the promises of God. We don't want to hear about delighting God. We are angry that there's work ahead. We're angry that we have to that we have to fight, that we have to face these giants before we can get the land. They had more faith in the words of eight grumpy men. Eight fearful, faithless spies than in the God who promised them the land. And because their faith was in the word of grumpy, faithless, fearful men, they had more faith in giants than God's word, more faith in fortified cities than in the power of God, more faith in the enemies than in the presence of the almighty God. Even though they all agreed the land was good, it's a good promise. It's a good promise. You see, there are believers right now that will say it's a good promise, but it's just not for me. Just like I told you about that commentator I read, it's, it's a great promise that Jesus will calm, calm your storm, but did God really say it to you? All scripture is given for, by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Reproof, for instruction and correction and righteousness—all of it is claimable. All Scripture—that would be Second Timothy three sixteen. Only Joshua and Caleb believed that God would bring them in. Their criteria for receiving and claiming the land was simply, "If we delight in the Lord." If we just follow the Lord, here's, here's what we need to do to have this land. We just have to follow the Lord's instructions. That's all. We have to walk in obedience and listen to him. And he'll give it to us. Whereas the eight spies, the people of Israel, measured the obstacles against their strength rather than measuring the obstacles against the power of God's word and promise. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. At that time, God forbid the rest of the generation of Israel from entering into his promised land. Instead, their children would inherit it. Caleb would inherit it. Numbers 14, 24, and God calls him my servant, Caleb. He says he's got a different, a unique, distinguished spirit from everyone else. He follows me wholly, wholly. He will come into the land he went. He will inherit it. Numbers fourteen thirty. except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in, but your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised because the children of Israel refused to follow the Lord. Their lives were cursed to wander in the wilderness, live without the fulfillment of promise, bear the burden of their infidelity. You know, honestly, if you can't claim the promises of God, your Christianity is going to be just a meandering through the wilderness. If there is no promise to claim, if there is no treasure up ahead, if you can't, pray and count on God to fulfill his promises, then life is really fruitless and just meandering. But if you claim and if you hold on to the promise of God, as Caleb did now 45 years later, Caleb is ready to lay claim to the promise of God. He has not forgotten one word of God's promise to him. God promised him the land his foot trod, which was Hebron, the land where the spy saw the giants, the land he traveled through 45 years previously. He has not forgotten that God said, I'll give it to you as an inheritance, a gift dependent on the giver. It is to be for him and for his children and his children's children. This is part of holy following the Lord. Caleb valued the promise of God so much that if you said, hey, Caleb, you got a promise from God? Well, yes, He could tell you where he was when he received it, the situation at the time, the way the others felt, his feelings when he heard it, who said it or confirmed it to him, exactly what the promise was. Can you do that? Can you do that? Can you say, this is how old I was? This is the day. This was the circumstance. And this is word for word what the Lord spoke to me. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help you still remember four years old in my bed sounding out those words and laying claim to that promise and sticking my hand outside my cover saying okay hold it hold it because it's dark in here and he's held it ever since. Caleb held fast to the promise of God, and this made him a standout. Philippians 2, 14, 16 tells us that those who hold fast to the word of God will be standouts in this generation. This is what Philippians, Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 14, 3, 16, do all things without murmuring and disputing without questioning the word of God, without questioning the promise, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Caleb held fast to the word of life, the word of God, the word of promise, and this made him distinct from his generation. Caleb believed the promise of God. Even when others doubted it and denied it, even when the Israelites were going to stone him, he still held fast to the promise of God. He believed in it, and he believed in God's power to fulfill the promise more than the power of the giants, more than the fortresses, more than the enemies, more than the fortified armies and raiders, more than the detractors, more than the disappointments, more than the delays. He continued to believe the promise of God. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. Caleb had not been afraid then and he wasn't afraid now. God was greater than the forces against the promise. Caleb wanted the promise. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. Do you want the promises of God? Do you want them? Do you want them? I asked someone the other day. They're going through a horrific situation. I said, what promise has God given you? I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? I mean, the first thing I do is, oh, God, speak to me about this situation. Speak to me about, give me a promise. And I put my hand on that promise. I raise my other hand and I say, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Be it to me according to your word. Be it to me according to your word. Here's your word. Here's your promise. I'm your maidservant. You connect the two. Be it to me according to your word. We need to lay claim. You know you have not because you ask not. You might not have any promises. Have you ever thought about asking for a promise? When you're reading, God, give me a promise. We pray for divine appointments. Why not pray for the promises of God? God, I need a word about this situation. I need a promise. I need something I can hold fast to right now. I do. I put, I put a secret code there that I know what those letters mean. But then two years later, I forget what those letters mean. I'm trying to figure out what those letters meant at the time. I put a date. I put a date in there. I have a friend, Rose. And she had heard someone say, uh, I think it was Emily Barnes, that every time she read through a Bible, she, she already determined who she was going to give it to. She prayed about, it. who is this Bible going to go to when I finish? She would spend a year to five years in that Bible, and she would write their name on promises and the date that she prayed it over them. And she started with first her daughter praying those promises, and then she gave it to her daughter as an inheritance and said, here is the word of God and all the promises of God, and they have been prayed over for you. Can you imagine getting a gift like that? My dad one time gave me one of his old Bibles and said, if I die, you can probably get some money on eBay for this. Thanks, Dad. Maybe I'll keep it as a heritage forever. But the the promises of God. Uh, And then Emily Barnes did one for her son, and then she began to do it for her grandchildren. And my friend Rose did that and laid claim to the promises for her son, for her daughter, and now for her grandson. We can do this, but you have not because you ask not. You you see the mountain go, well, there's the mountain, and I remember seeing it years ago. It's a big mountain, but there are those giants too. No, ask for the mountain. Lord, give me the mountain. I want the mountain. I want the challenge. Lord, you know, sometimes if, if the prayer seems too hard, we're like, oh, Lord, forget that one. You know, I found out a friend of mine who I absolutely adore, She has brain cancer. It looks like it's worse. And sometimes you're like, oh, Lord. And the Lord says, have you ever thought about pray for the mountain? Lord, I pray for her cleansing. I pray for her healing. I'm not going to stop praying. Pray for the mountain. What can it hurt to ask for the mountain, to pray for the mountain, to say, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. All it can do is strengthen our faith and to sustain us. Caleb was sustained by his now, I'm not saying to enter into the promise presumptuously. There was a waiting period, and Caleb was willing to wait till he came right back to that promise, and he knew when the time was right. The Israelites had presumptuously tried to enter the promise. When the timing was off, they had been disobedient, and they were repelled. But Caleb wholly followed the Lord, which meant he, He followed the Lord even when it meant delays in waiting. He followed God's instruction. He waited on God. Caleb was sustained by his faith, Joshua 14.10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses. And now here I am, 85 years old. The other spies had died a whole generation except Joshua died in the wilderness. And think about this. Caleb was in the battle against Og. Caleb was in the battle against Sihon. Caleb was in the battle against Jericho. Caleb was in the second battle against Ai. Caleb was in the battle against the kings of the south. Caleb was in the battle against the kings of the north. David, when he was 60, in his 60s, his men stopped letting him fight. They said, you've become a liability to us, David, because now the giants are going after you, and we feel like we need to save you from the giants. But Caleb was right there, sustained. Not His faith did not diminish those 45 years, but it was strengthened, so he was ready to take down the giants, ready to fight in every battle He says in verse 11, as yet, as yet, I am as strong this day as I was on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, for going out and for coming in. In Romans 4 verses 20 through 21, we read about Caleb's great, 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 great grandpa, Abraham who did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. He's another man that had to wait years and years, given a promise. And then again, delays and detractors and deterrence and even discouragement and detours down to Egypt. We're all part of it. But he held on to the promise. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he promised, he was able to perform. This is what we do while we wait. What do you do when you wait? What do you do when the promise is put off? You strengthen yourself in faith. How do you do that? You rehearse the promise. You rehearse the time. You rehearse the place. You rehearse the word. You play it over and over again, and you talk to the Lord in prayer about the promise. That's how you strengthen yourself. He was just as ready at 85 to take the mountains and drive out the giants as he had been at 40 because Caleb knew, he knew that the fulfillment of the promise rested in God and not in him. It may be that the Lord, just as he had said years ago, if the Lord delights in us, it may be that the Lord will be with me, his presence, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said, Joshua 14, 12. Caleb put the responsibility for the promise back onto God. And we're told in verse 13 of chapter 14 that Joshua blessed Caleb. That must have been so precious as one old man blesses another old man as the survivor's The survivors, it would be like being at a um, World War II vet convention. You know, these two men that both saw D Day blessing one another. Joshua blessed his comrade. These two men were the men who saw the land, testified of the land, and just as God promised, here they are standing in the land together, having fought, having seen God's victory over and over again. I want to ask you in closing, what have you allowed to diminish your faith in God's promise? What is it? Let me ask you, do you have a promise? Do you have a promise? I remember a a young girl came in and she said, my husband and I, our marriage is over. It's just over. What do you think? You know, I I can't even tell you the people that come and want to counsel with me, and they're like, my husband's a jerk. Can I divorce him? It's like, seriously, who do you think I am? You know, and why do you think I could give you that permission? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just me, very little me. I don't know, don't know nothing about nothing. I don't know. I don't know. So this girl's coming in and saying, well, you know, here's the situation. Here's another situation. Here's another situation. Should I divorce him? And you're like, oh my goodness. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you've probably just wasted a whole hour telling me all this because I can't tell you what to do. I don't know what to do. She goes, don't you have a word from the Lord? And I said, no, I have a lot for me, but I don't have any for you. And I said, okay, this is all I can think. Do you have a promise from God? Anything? Like when you, when you first saw him, you both were Christians. Did God give you any word about this marriage, a promise before you married him? Anything at all? And she's like, well, kind of. But I'm not sure it was really God. I said, read it to me. So she reads it to me. You know, she goes to the scripture. She reads it to me. And I said, so when was this? How old were you? What happened? She tells me everything. I said, girl, you have got a promise. That is a promise. No, you can't divorce that man. Absolutely not. God wants to bless your marriage. He wants to do something fantabulous. You hold on to that promise. God will fulfill it. So she said, okay, okay. So then her husband and she come in. We have this incredible talk with them. It was like amazing. The spirit of the Lord was there. And then they never came back. Never came back to see us. Brian ran into him and said, why haven't you come back? And they said, because we don't need you anymore. We're so happy. God has blessed our marriage. He's like, you know, sometimes the pastor needs to know that. Just come back. Say thank you. It was great. We're really doing well now. We just need to know when God answers prayer, it helps our faith too. The promise. And, And she said, everything God promised, that's what we're living now. We're in it. It's happening. You know, we forget that there's a fight sometimes to the promise. That there's time till the promise. Do you have a promise? Do you value that promise? Can you remember the occasion of that promise? The date? Your age? Where it is in the Bible? Do you even know the address of that promise? Can you say, Isaiah 40 verse 13, Can you say where it is? Or do you say, you know, somewhere in this book, Oh, my goodness. How important is it to you? Because if it's important to you, if you're holding fast, you'll be able to say exactly where it is. You'll know. You'll know. Who confirmed it to you? What are the confirmations? Will you say, well, I got this promise. And then as I was walking down the street, this person said this to me and that. Do you know what it says? Have you ever looked up some of those words in Strong's and gotten the fuller meaning? Mark and date it. Put your hand on it. Raise your other hand. Look up into heaven. Quote Mary in Luke 136 and say, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. Have you allowed detractors? Well, really? Um, I don't think you should be able to claim that. Delays, detours, distractions, disappointments, deterrents to diminish your faith in the promise of God? Caleb's faith was unaffected by any of these realities. I'm not saying there are no detractions. There are. I'm not saying that there are no deterrents or disappointments. There are. He must have been so disappointed when he had to go back to the wilderness and leave the promise of God for 40 years. But God fulfilled it because Caleb wholly followed the Lord. That's what he decided to do. This quality made the biggest difference in his faith, and it will make a difference in your faith. This quality made a difference in the fulfillment of this promise to Caleb because he wholly followed the Lord. This promise had an effect on all those who saw Caleb It infected them with the promise and passion of God. And so if you choose to wholly follow the Lord, hold fast to his word, you will have an effect on your whole tribe, on your family, on your generation. We can choose to wholly follow the Lord. Caleb did. He held fast onto God's word to him. He held fast to God's ways for him. He held fast to God's will for him because that's what it is, to follow the Lord, to wholly follow the Lord. It's to put God's word above the word of anybody else. It's to put God's ways above our own ways and the ways of anybody else. It's to hold fast to God's will for us above our own will or even the will of others. It's to say, What is the will of the Lord? What does he want? We don't need to be discouraged by detractors and doubters and delays and disappointments, detours, deterrents. We can hold fast to God's word and we can pray, oh God, let us wholly follow you. God's promise is waiting. We can go back to that mountain, find the promise, put your hand on it, ask for it, ask for it because the responsibility of fulfilling that promise is God's, not yours. Put your faith in God. Put your hand on the promise. Go ahead and stand up. Let's stand up. Lord, we live in a faithless generation. Oh, Lord. People have lost faith in government as they should. People have lost faith in mankind as they should. They have lost faith in science as they should. But Lord, we have lost faith in you and your promises. I pray that you would restore to us that faith that we lost. Lord, where we lost it, maybe from the disappointment, a deterrent, or doubt. Lord, we pray that you would bring it back to us. Lord, put the mountain right in front of us again, that promise right in front of us. Speak into us. Speak to us. Oh, God, we pray that you would work in our hearts to wholly, wholly follow you, that we would love your promises more than the word of men, that we would value your promises more than our possessions or the things that we own right now, that we would believe that they were more tangible and greater. And keeping your eyes closed, some of you need to raise your hand and just think of a promise that God has given you. Raise your hand and repeat after me. Behold your head maiden." I was enthusiastic. Let's try it again. (laughs) Behold, your handmaiden, be it unto me according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.